This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're on? I'm no, on? you're starting. I'm starting. You always okay. start, bro. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought you were kicking me off. No, no, no. Okay. Equity mind. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Equity mates, here we are again, episode 13. I'm uh, Bryce and I'm here with my equity mates, buddy Ren. How are you, mate? I'm good, equity mate. How are you? Very well. Good to be with you again. We've got a very special episode lined up today, one that we've been wanting to do for a while now. We know everyone loves technology and it's it almost seems to be the topic of choice for a a lot of newspapers at the moment and media outlets and you can't sort of avoid it in day-to-day life. So we thought we'd do a tactacular episode where we talk about all things to do with technology, how that can relate to investing and sort of what it means for us in, um, in our daily lives. And to be honest, it's a good indulgence for us to tell some of our favorite stories that you may not have heard before, but we find really interesting. Yeah, we've been looking for episodes to throw some stuff at you and I think we figured that the best way to do it would be to to do it all at once. So um, (laughs) we're going to start off with with the current state of play um, and let you know some of the things that are going on with advances in technology and what it's going to look like in the future and also what opportunities that can present for investing in Australia and overseas. And then we're going to kick into some uh, failed... Some failed uh, technology investments. And what, what's different about technology investments and what we should what we watch out for? Yeah, so some tips and tricks of finding some stock companies and, and what's the differences in um, investing in a tech company or if there are differences to a, a regular non-tech company. And then we'll uh, finish off, as always, with the stock of the week. Let's get straight into it, Ren. Um, we'll, as always, we like to kick off with some news. This time around, we're going to go in with a bit of current state of play and what it can mean for us because not everything here is you know, brand new and has been happening in the last couple of weeks. Most of what we're going to discuss has been an ongoing development. Um, Basically, we're we're stretching the definition of news to fit some more things into it. Yeah, so let's kick it off. (laughs) All right, let's kick driving cars. Yeah, so if there was one technology, if you were going to ask me what's the one technology that will change our investing lives but our lives more generally in the next 10 years, I'd have to answer self-driving cars. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of options. Um, AI would be up there, but I think yeah. in terms of the next 10 years, what's really going to come down the pipeline and hit society, I think self-driving cars probably takes the cake. For what reasons? 
Uh, I think the the huge structural change it will bring to society, the amount of jobs that will be lost because of it, but mm-hmm. also the amount of efficiencies that will be gained because of it, mm-hmm. uh, the way it will change people's lives. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the if you look at the economic modeling around self-driving cars, chances are a lot of people sort of born today won't ever need to buy a car in their lifetime. What that will mean for big companies today, what that will mean for transport, what that will mean for cities. You probably won't need any parking in the city or anything like that. So that's going to change the way we design cities. I mean, I can go on and on about this, but I think that it will represent a real structural change in, in our society. Yeah, no, it's, it's exciting. I, I don't reckon I'll ever own a car probably because of this, (laughs) because of this reason, like living in the city, I don't need one at the moment. And I'll either be able to press a button on my phone and something will come and pick me up or, you know. Yeah. And it will be... Kids might not even have to ever learn how to drive. Our kids will think we're crazy talking about driving. Like, it will be something that, like, rich people do on private racetracks because... Yeah, exactly. It will be an indulgence. Yeah. All right, so where are we up to? We're getting ahead of ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So so where are we up to in terms of self-driving cars? What are are some of the main players doing and and who are they? So I think... Probably a good indicator of how serious this race is, is the amount of players in the race. So yeah. what we thought we'd do is just go through some of the the sort of main players, see where they're at um, and sort of look forward a little bit and see what they're doing. Mm. So the first one we wanted to start with was Ford. And Ford and every other major traditional car company have a self-driving division at the moment. They're all investing in it, GM. Uh, Toyota, Honda, I mean, I could just keep naming car companies, but you know them all. Yeah. They're all trying They're all trying to be the first. And Ford recently made the big move of firing their CEO and promoting the head of their automated car division to CEO. So that was oh. a pretty big statement to the market. Mm. And uh, it shows, shows just how serious they are. And it's interesting that, well, I find it interesting because in my mind, you don't tend to think of these more traditional companies as having um, a lot of skin in the game with this sort of stuff. You always think of the Teslas and Apple and Uber and and those sort of companies that have promoted themselves as more technologically advanced. But you're right, all these companies need to have some skin in the game, otherwise they're just going to be left behind. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think what Tesla and other car companies have shown is that making the car is actually the easy part of this equation making the self-driving technology is obviously harder. And you know these traditional car companies thought for a while that self-driving cars were a pipe dream and then would have assumed that they could just license the technology off whatever car company uh, won this race. But now I think what they're slowly realizing is if a company like Tesla wins this race, they don't have to license the self-driving technology to all your traditional car manufacturers. Yeah. They can already make the cars. Or if yeah. Apple wins this race they can create a car manufacturing facility yeah. and, and totally then dominate. yeah and then they can dominate this self-driving car market yeah. so i think that's lit a fire under a lot of these traditional car manufacturers and that's why you're seeing them really take this race seriously at the moment well speaking of licensing you we were talking before that um, apple was previously doing something along those lines but now they may have changed direction yeah so they they announced late last year or it was leaked late last year that they're sort of stepping back. Uh, they hadn't had a lot of success in their self-driving department and they were going to try and move away from actually developing the technology to making a software platform uh, on which you know other developers could build the technology and um, they could create new um, like apps and stuff to go with the technology. 
So everyone thought Apple were kind of dwindling in this race. But then what we heard in April this year is that they're now looking to test self-driving technology. Mm. So they're a pretty secretive company these days. You know, they have that big facility out in Nevada where they secretly invest their billions that they've, they've earned. And, no fly zone. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe this is just a, a case of misdirection and they've been quietly working away at it and not trying to alert mm. their competitors. Well, I mean, a company that certainly has let everyone know how they're going and not traditionally a car manufacturing company would be Google. So where do they stand in, in all of this? Yeah, so Google owns a, a company called Waymo and that's basically their self-driving car division. Yeah, okay. um, I, I was actually in Silicon Valley late last year. And oh, I know. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, trying to do a funding round for equity mates. Um, <laughs> And we actually saw the Google prototype self-driving car being tested on the streets of San Fran. Oh, wow. We actually saw it a couple of times. Wow. And, you know, there's obviously someone in Is the driver's successful? seat. I mean, it was driving. <laughs> <laughs> so at, at this stage, yeah, there's someone in the driver's seat and they, they, they didn't have their hands on the wheel though. So I guess that's a good sign. But yeah, Google has got to a point where they're testing prototypes, you know, it's it's like a prototype car, not your traditional design with cameras on top of it. Um, yeah, yeah. I imagine a whole bunch of sensors in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, they're really ticking along. Mm, and mm. Um, they've, they've actually made a partnership with Lyft. And Lyft, for those who don't know, is basically uh, a carbon copy of Uber. Um, yeah. I mean, they'd probably argue they're not, but realistically they are. Um and Waymo or Google have actually partnered with Lyft to develop this technology, which a lot of people were surprised by. But um, then it's come out that Waymo are actually suing Uber. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're alleging that Uber and the head of Uber's self-driving division stole all of Google's technology. And um, that's how they're developing their own self-driving car. Wow. Which I also saw in San Fran. So, you know, they're really ticking along as well, Uber. Mm. But yeah, Waymo are claiming that all of that progress was because they stole the technology. And so they're suing Uber. But then as like a bit of a stuff you on the side, they've also partnered with Uber's biggest competitor to develop mm. this technology. Well, speaking of Uber and stealing technology, they certainly grabbed some headlines last year when they did the first automated truck delivery in Colorado with the delivery of beer which is pretty cool. Uh, however, not everything is rosy with Uber at the moment. Um, and I'm sure you've got something to add into this, Ren. Yeah, so as a company, Uber are bleeding money. So mm. recently announced that this quarter, the, uh, only this quarter, they made a $708 million loss. Yeah, so, huge. So just for some context, they brought in $3.4 billion in revenue, but their costs were $4.1 billion. Yeah. So just think about those numbers for a second. That, that's crazy. Four point one yeah. billion costs in a quarter. Yeah. Um, but then, well, when you compare that to the quarter before, where they made nine, a nine hundred million dollar loss, I guess they're trending in the right direction. At least. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I saw on the news, uh, maybe it was this morning or, or, or late yesterday, that Uber have now gone into the market of Uber 
in boats between like the Greek islands and the Croatian <laughs> Croatian islands. So right. I, I, I looked at that and thought about this $708 million loss and just thought, you know, they are obviously expanding or trying to expand at such a rate that their expenses obviously are shooting through the roof. But it also makes you question, are they expanding in the right areas and are they just trying to target a market or get their foot in a, in all markets where where who knows what's going to happen down the track? Is it is it going to come back and bite them or what's going to be the case? Yeah, I mean, no, no one knows the answer to that question. And no. I think uh, similar to what we were saying before about how car manufacturers realize that the key to all this is the self-driving technology more than the ability to manufacture cars. Mm. Uber recognized that the key to their future is the self-driving technology as well. Because yeah. hypothetically, you know, if Apple uh, makes self-driving technology first and develops the car, they'll then be like building an app that matches cars with with riders is, yeah. is super so easy. easy for them. Yeah. And, and they'll have such a cost advantage because Uber's yeah. biggest cost is their drivers. Yeah. So if Apple, all they'll need to do is there'll be an upfront capital cost in developing the cars and then uh, they'll be able to put a whole fleet on the road that only have minimal maintenance costs. Yeah. And then, I mean, if, you're, if you can Uber. pay you know, 30% less to get a self-driving car, there's no way you're going to go to Uber. No. And no. you know, then Apple can very slowly work those capital costs off over a number of years, but they, yeah. they'll dominate that market. So I think Uber recognizes how important this race is. I mean, I think everyone recognizes how important this race is. Yeah. yeah. I'm very keen to see how it all pans out. And honestly, I don't think it's that far far well, around the corner. Well, to give you an idea of just how close it is, the last company that we were going to touch on is one of both of our favorites, we have to admit, uh, and that's Tesla. There recently, I think it was end of last year, a video came out of a Tesla driver asleep in his car and yeah. the car was driving through traffic. Yeah, you can uh, actually see it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, you can Google yeah. it. And this guy's just fast asleep in the driver's seat and the car yep. is just driving in traffic for it him. It looks unreal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Change the way we live, to yeah. be honest. Oh, imagine not having Change to have seats in your car you and you just have a couch. Yeah, have a set, couch. Set a TV up, little fridge. Everyone commutes hassle-free. Yeah, it's yeah, oh, so dude. good. I, I was just going to say, I guess the, the question we should try and answer briefly is so what does all this mean in terms of investing and do we see any opportunities going forward so i from my point of view obviously the clear ones are to keep an eye on these main players in this space and just keep on keep abreast of where the developments are coming from and and then if you feel it necessary or you think it's a good opportunity to jump in on some of these companies then that's obviously the main way that you can get invested in this sort of stuff but then if you sort of look further into it and think what does this mean for other parts of our economy then we can start talking about you know there's going to be people who are losing out on jobs uh, because it's going to disrupt labor market um, and you know it's going to change the way that um, as Renners was saying before you know cities are built and and the way that we go about our lives so do you have anything to add in on that, Ren? Oh, look, I think you, I think you covered most of it. Yeah. I guess as an Australian investor, though, to bring it all back, there are ways that you can capitalize on this trend. And as a little teaser for all our listeners, the stock of the week that we're going to bring you gives you a pretty good way of, you know, making a bet on a number of these players and yeah. um, 
you might find a way to capitalize on self-driving technology regardless of who wins. Yeah, I think our stock of the week is going to um, encapsulate almost everything that we talk about today. Yeah, so pretty much. That's good. <laughs> we chose well, I guess. Yeah. Now, if All that right. doesn't convince people to stick around, I don't know what will. <laughs> okay, speaking of transformation then, two companies have transformed the way that the globe advertises and the way that consumers receive advertising gone are the traditional forms of advertising in newspapers and i mean tv still exists but if you look at how it compares to trend of advertising now it is certainly nowhere near where it used to be and those two companies are hopefully most people would be aware google and facebook they are are on a relentless march at the moment and are dominating the world in terms of advertising and advertising revenue uh, they bring in one-fifth of the globe's ad revenue, which is an enormous amount between two companies, one-fifth of the globe's and ad revenue, which totals to bring in $106 billion from advertising. Yeah. And I think <laughs> but, it, it's worth reflecting just on what that means. Like one-fifth of the globe's advertising revenue, that means, you know, in Russia, in China, in you know, like South America, mm. like literally across the world. Tasmania. Yeah, because when you think about the traditional media landscape, every country had big media companies. You know, mm. Australia, we had Fairfax and News Corp. In mm. America, there were the big TV networks and then the big national newspapers. Um, every country like has mm. these media conglomerates that have, mm. you know, made millions of dollars mm. over the last hundred years from, yeah. you know, radio, TV, newspaper advertising. Yeah. And yet all of those companies are getting crushed at the moment by mm. these two absolute internet behemoths. Yeah, and it's driven primarily by the data that these two companies have on every single one of us. And it allows these companies to specifically start targeting in, in a way that has never been able to be done before so that ads now become much more meaningful to the market that they're being promoted towards. Whereas, yeah. you know, TV and newspaper, you know, mass markets, you would hope that of everyone that saw it, that you know, an X percentage would find some value in that advertising. Whereas with these companies, they're offering companies the ability uh, to target so much more specifically. And so their ads will have so much more meaning and relevance to the markets that um, they're trying to get people to buy their products. And, I think what we also need to mention is that the revenue that they're bringing in over the last five years has doubled. So we can only imagine what it's going to be like in five or 10 years time. And obviously this is their main revenue stream at the moment. So in terms of investing, if the money keeps coming in the way it is, then these guys are going to be making some serious cash in 10 or 20 years. Yeah. Well, I mean, 106 billion at the moment is pretty serious cash, but (laughs) (laughs) even more serious cash, I guess. Uh, all right. Well, speaking of transformation, once again, we're just going to keep going <laughs> into the weeds here a little bit. But yeah. Bitcoin, I know I've seen so much in the media about it, and I'm sure you have as well, Ren, and a lot of, well, a lot of our mates is an overstatement, but a couple of our mates are in Bitcoin. But for those that are unaware, do you want to give a very brief yeah, so, sort of update on what it is? So Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. The beauty behind all these cryptocurrencies is that the the record of ownership is held on a decentralized ledger. It's a, it's a way of keeping records that is 
you know, can't be hacked. Uh, these Bitcoin can't be stolen because if you hack one computer to try and change the ledger, every other computer will recognize that that doesn't match what every other computer has. That's a really simple way of explaining well, sort I mean, of... It's the... not that simple, but... <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's a really brief way of... Yeah. Sorry, not simple at all. Um, it, it's definitely worth looking up because whilst Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies, you know, they've had a great run uh, and we'll see what happens, but the, the technology behind it, it's called blockchain and in some Which ways is... that, that might be, end up being more valuable. Yeah, far too complicated for us to try and explain and would need almost an entire episode in itself. But yeah. Maybe we just... do a Bitcoin-tacular next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon what, what all we need to say about Bitcoin is that if you bought it, you're pretty, you're pretty stoked right now. To give you an idea of how much it's shot up in price, in uh, this time last year, it was about $700 a Bitcoin which people thought was expensive at the time, but it's yeah. shot up to three grand or over three grand a Bitcoin now. Yeah, huge movements in price. And, you know, no one really understands where this is coming from. There's a lot of speculation as to whether it's in a huge bubble at the moment. Is this bubble going to crash? There were people like Dan Bilzerian on Instagram telling people the world that he bought Bitcoin. It was in mainstream media. So, you know, traditionalists would like to say that when that happens, when you're investments start hitting mainstream media like Bitcoin have, then it's certainly in a bubble and to, and to watch out. But who knows? This, this could skyrocket. This could crash any second. Um, no one's really sure yeah. what's going on. But you know, underlying it all, there's certainly a disconnect between the movement in price and the actual use and utility of the currency at this point in time. So yeah. will that even out? Who knows? But yeah, it has certainly shot up. But Bitcoin's not the only one, is it, Ren? No, there's a bunch of others, um, all using this same sort of blockchain technology. Uh, Would you say Ethereum is the second biggest one? I think so, yeah. Definitely gets the second most amount of press. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's it's also had a pretty crazy price run. Uh, A year ago, it was trading at about 15 bucks, uh, and it's now 370 or about that. So uh, I'm kind of reluctant to talk about the rise in price for Bitcoin because... I don't want people going out there thinking that like putting all their all their investing funds into Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency is no, no, sort no. of a guaranteed return. No, no, no. I think it's worth saying that Bitcoin is a pure supply and demand play. Like all of this price rise has literally just been because there's more demand than supply for the for the coins. There's no sort of underlying value in the asset. So this is an asset that could go to zero. You know, currencies and stuff, you know, any, anything's a supply and demand game, but it's very unlikely that they go to zero because there's tangible value attached to that asset, to that investment. Yeah. But um, Bitcoin, literally, you know, if, you know, if governments get together and regulate the currency out of existence, which, which is, a, is a possibility in this case, you may be left holding the bag on something that's valueless. Yeah, uh, so don't, don't get caught up in the hype and just because we've pointed out those huge movements, um, don't think that it's going to continue that way. Of course it may, but yeah. I would be incredibly careful when, when looking at buying this sort of stuff. Yeah. And to be honest, I've had a look at buying some of this stuff and to even buy it or get your hands, well, get your hands on is the wrong thing to say because it's a digital currency, but to even get involved in buying this stuff, the, the amount of 
the process that's involved in it and and the time that you have to spend to actually look after your coins in these online wallets to make sure that no one comes on and you know hacks the system and takes all away it's so time consuming and and uh, you've really got to have a solid understanding of what's going on before you get involved. So that's my two Bitcoins about it. I think we've sufficiently scared all of our non-tech savvy <laughs> listeners. Yeah, and well, let's, let's We're going to get on, seriously trolled by some Bitcoin purists. Um, yeah, big time. Because there are some people out there that will live and die defending Bitcoin. We've probably I said mean, a lot of wrong things as well, yeah, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, give us feedback. <laughs> well, let's, let's go one step further then and look at societies that are now cashless well, and this is trying to become cashless. well yeah trying to become cashless and and this is something that you know both you and i ren can definitely see becoming a reality yeah and... so look we might be stretching the def- definition of technology a little bit here but it's definitely something that's enabled by technology and it's something yep. that in the same way that self-driving cars was a will be a big structural change societies going cashless will be a bigger structural change than people would first think. So November 2016, it was India decided to ban its two largest notes, which were the 500 rupee and the 1000 rupee. So yeah. two of their, were well, their two biggest notes. Yeah. And now just, just to give context of how big that is, it effectively banned 86% of India's currency. It's the two biggest notes, but it's also the two most common notes by a long way. Now, the primary reasons for doing this were not driven by technology. So this is where we're sort of pushing the boundary in terms of the technology. But it was to try and fight against corruption and start getting a hold of how much wealth is actually in the economy and so that the government can start receiving taxes and all that sort of stuff. However, the effect of doing what they have done has driven rapid changes in technology within, within the country. Do you have anything to add to that, Ren? Oh, look, just quickly, because we should try and rip through some of these. They eventually had to reissue some of the cash because the issue was, in some ways, India put the cart before the horse. Not, if not everyone has an online payment system, you know, like a phone or a computer to, to mm-hmm. pay for things, mm-hmm. then what you do is you take all the cash out of a society and then there's a cash crunch and mm-hmm. uh, people really struggle. So that's what India found. They're now on a real serious project of digitizing everyone's identity so making sure everyone has a smartphone giving everyone you know a sort of digital identity so they can get online payments from the government rather than Mm. having Mm. to rely on cash and that's done through fingerprint i want to point out yeah 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 so like india is a really good case study of a country that maybe is skipping a step in traditional development uh, and it's trying to jump straight into the digital age rather than um you know the industrialization dragging everyone out of poverty and then moving towards a more digital economy that you sort of see China has done over the last, say, 30 or 40 years. Mm-hmm. Look, I think what they've done is a very brave thing. And I think that they've just forced people into doing something that I think would have otherwise taken years and years to do. They've forced millions of millions of people to open bank accounts, put their money into banks. And as you said, they've started this um, digital system of getting everyone recorded and, and online so they can start getting welfare payments and that sort of stuff. It's also worth noting that there's a company called Paytm, which has just gone ballistic in India, worth about $5 billion, I think. And you'd be interested to know that um, Alibaba has actually invested about $1.5 billion into the company, I'm pretty sure. Um, and what they do is a lot of Indians have mobile phones, not necessarily 
um, smartphones, but they all have um, mobile phones. And so this company allows payments to be transferred between mobile phones. So there's about three and a half or four million businesses in India that use this payment system and many more customers. And it's one way that they have sped up this process of getting rid of cash in their society and allowing customers to pay businesses and businesses to pay businesses just by typing in amounts and using the phone numbers. So um, that's an interesting way of utilizing technology. Yeah, it really is something, it seems so simple, being able to send money, not between smartphones, but just between any phone. But it is actually having profound effects across the world. And if you want to look at sort of a real hub of entrepreneurism, look into some of these African countries. Um, Yeah. Because mobile payments is Middle Eastern as well. Yeah, it really is changing the continent. I guess to wrap up, I just want to mention that, you know, we've gone from self-driving cars all the way through to cashless societies and trying to find companies that are specifically relevant to everything that we've mentioned can be either time-consuming or near impossible for someone that doesn't have a lot of time or really know where to start. I guess why we did this, Ren, and correct me if I'm wrong, but was more to just give an update and understanding of where everything's at, but also to encourage everyone to just keep abreast of what's going on and start to develop your own ideas of what that could mean going forward and then think about how that is going to sort of shape your investing sort of philosophy of of companies that you can see 10 or 20 years down the track having some sort of impact yeah definitely and look i think in a in a general sense the reason that i i love investing and i'm sort of drawn to the the study of it is because you you get the opportunity to be you know a student of the world it's not often that we could talk about three pretty diverse topics and just talk about how these things are going to change the world and yeah it doesn't always have to be that you know cashless society okay well I'm going to invest in this mobile payments company. But you can yeah. think of like, you know, the second order and third order effects down the line. So, Definitely. you know, mobile payments are going to become a bigger thing. This will enable far better commerce in regions that were generally plagued by corruption and crime and stuff like that. What does that mean for the continent of Africa or countries within Africa? Maybe there's, you know, something in there that you can look at to invest in. So. Mm. It's yeah. about it's about just literally reading as much as you can, learning about as much as you can, and just thinking about the second and third order effects, and yeah. just just be a student of the world. There, yeah. There's more investing opportunities out there than we have time on this earth. So mm. just keep learning. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. 
Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, nice one. We're moving on then. So now that we've got everyone really excited about the potential for technology, I think we need to temper those expectations a little bit <laughs> and talk about tech investing gone wrong. Yeah. And then maybe what people should look for when they're thinking about investing in a technology company. Well, I mean, yeah, true. So 1997 to 2001, I'm sure people have heard of it. And if you haven't, that was the era of the first internet boom, otherwise known as the dot-com bubble. This was a time where we started to see crazy valuations in companies and irrational exuberance, expenditure and, and investing that. It was a time of people just throwing money at companies. I think maybe to give a quick fire idea of just how crazy that whole time was, let's just fire some stories back and forth of our sort of favorite dot-com bubble stories and okay. just how crazy you know, the valuations were, how much money was involved and sort of what happened back in the day. All right, kick it off. Well, look, one of the ones that I'm sure no one's heard of today is Boo.com which raised hundreds of millions of dollars and then burnt through $188 million in just six months trying to build a global online fashion store. It went bankrupt in 2000. (laughs) Uh, Broadcast.com, which was Mark Cuban's initial company that he began, uh, he later went on to sell that to Yahoo for $5.9 billion. Interestingly, though, once that was sold to Yahoo, Mark Cuban then went and shorted the stock and made even more money. So for those that aren't aware of that, that means he essentially had no faith in, this, in the stock, thought it was way too overvalued. It, this is his own company, bet against it, and it obviously crashed, and he made even more money than the $5.9 billion, So. <laughs> I mean, Yahoo really suckered then, I guess. But I mean, yeah. he, he knew that it was a bubble, I guess, and he made the yeah. most of it. So you yeah. can't fault Smart the bloke. Guy. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, another one. I mean, we just spoke about Bitcoin, but they weren't the first attempt at a digital currency. Flues.com was the, <laughs> an, an, an online digital currency that folded in 2001. But they had their moment in the spotlight because Whoopi Goldberg, in one of her lesser-known appearances, actually acted as their spokesperson. (laughs) This is ridiculous. Um, GeekNet, which I haven't heard of um, (laughs) until this point, when they had their IPO or initial public offering, which is the day that they become available to retail investors on the stock market, they floated that day at $30 at at opening and they closed at $239.25 per share. In one day, day they gained 698%. (laughs) (laughs) Year after that IPO, however, their share was worth $8. So they... You better hope you sold at the top. <laughs> oh, no, you just sell that day and walk away at 700 yeah. <laughs> What a day. I mean, in a similar vein, another company that I'm sure no one's heard of, Infospace. In March 2000, its stock price cracked a grand. It reached $1,305 per share. Which back then... Yeah, funny. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, we're talking about Google cracking $1,000 a share now. Infospace, just as big a company as Google back in the day, (laughs) cracked $1,000 a share in March 2000, 
by 2002 it was trading at two dollars per share so that's obviously a company that has seriously been gone bust. Yeah. 2001 was the burst of the bubble. 2002, it's worth two dollars a share. Unbelievable. If you held on to it. The big company that everybody's heard of, Books a Million. <laughs> no one's heard of them. 25th of November 1998. So that just after the boom started kicking off in a big way, it was trading at three dollars a share. Two days later. It was $38.94 a share. So $3 to $38 in two days. People were making a fortune off these companies or people were losing a fortune. (laughs) Three days after that, 30th of November, 1998, it reached $47 a share. So we've gone from $3 to $47 in the space of five days. However, two weeks later, everyone realized what was going on. Books a million made, didn't make a million. And it was worth ten dollars a share, and everyone lost their millions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now this brings us to my favourite. Oh, I don't think you can beat this in just a crazy tech boom story. So this company was called Pixelon. It sold itself as a company that offered higher quality video streaming, and it raised twenty three million dollars, and then spent sixteen million of that. <laughs> on a dot-com launch party in Las Vegas featuring the Dixie Chicks, Kiss, and they even got The Who to reunite just for that party. And they called it iBash99. What a name. 16 million. 16 million on a party in Vegas. Oh, my, oh my God. Yeah. Now, probably not surprising to anyone. Within a year, the whole company collapsed as they, <laughs> when they admitted they misrepresented or completely faked their technology. But what was surprising to a lot of people is their founder, named Michael Fenn, was actually a convicted felon on the run called David Kim Stanley. <laughs> now, you probably think we're making this one up, but Google David Kim Stanley. This did happen. This party did occur. The Who reunited for it. And if that doesn't sell what the tech boom was like, well, then nothing will. I know, I know. Some crazy times and, you you know, you still hear people talk about it. People either made an absolute fortune and are still incredibly rich from it or people lost an absolute fortune. I mean, lessons from this and it's easy to say that it happened a while ago and we've learned our lesson and and whatnot. But the first thing that we can take away is that investors obviously got, got caught up in the potential of, what the internet could bring and that they forgot to do their fundamental research and and valuation of the companies. They got carried away in all the money that was being thrown around. And as a result, we're investing in companies that had nothing and and no substance behind them. And I mean, look, we, we laugh at all these people, but the reason they invested so much and the reason that it, it was such a craze was because the theory was that the internet would change the world and that all businesses would move online. And these investors actually went wrong. I mean, like, look at the world today. All the biggest companies are internet companies or technology companies. Retail has moved online, like Netflix and stuff. Everything is done over the internet now. Yeah. Whatever good or service you want, it's it's online. So the investors' fundamental thesis was right. The Mm. issue was that they got so caught up in this new technology that they didn't look at the actual companies that they were investing in and they didn't think about whether what they were actually buying was a good price for the company. They yeah. just thought the internet will change everything. Who cares what we pay because, you know, 
Books yeah. a Million is going to be selling a million books a day online, <laughs> regardless of how many books they were selling online. Pixelon had the who. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they got them to reunite. Like, <laughs> video streaming, it's going to be big. And these theories weren't wrong. Amazon no. was a bookseller that's now the biggest retailer in the world. Yeah. They, these companies, they, these investors had the right thought process, but they let their emotions and, and the emotions of others get in the way, obviously. So it's, it's easy to look back and say that was in hindsight and that it's not going to happen now. But there are examples at the moment that put into question, have investors actually learnt their lessons? <laughs> For example, Facebook has gone ahead and bought WhatsApp, which is the online uh, mobile application messaging service for $19 billion, despite WhatsApp only having a revenue of $50 million. Another one was Twitter filed for a billion-dollar IPO before it was even profitable, and Amazon's price-to-earnings ratio is at 184. So for those that aren't aware, that means you're paying 184 times their earnings for, um, for their shares, which is an incredible amount yeah. and uh, something that in this day and age would certainly put it into the spectrum of very overvalued, but who knows? Yeah. So what, is, what, is that, what does that mean? So I guess, yeah, the question that we have to ask is, are investors making the same mistakes as they did in the early 2000s or are we missing something with, you know, those sort of examples that you just talked about? Mm, well, what do you think? <laughs> um, so... Technology companies are unique in some ways. They're, a lot of them are sort of all or nothing plays. And okay. what do I, I guess what do I mean by that? So, you know, a traditional business that you're investing in can have a 30% market share, strong profit margins and be a good investment. Like uh, as an example, you know, Woolies. If you invested in Woolies and every year they were making money, they wouldn't have to have 100% of the grocery sector to be a solid investment for you know, years to come. Yeah, But with technology companies, their business model is a little bit different. Because of the sort of unique nature of a lot of technology companies, there's a real incentive to dominate the market and control a certain section of the market. And then you're able to monetize the users that you've brought in um, or you can you know, raise your prices. So yeah. if, we look at, if we look at the examples that you, uh, that you brought up before, yeah. I mean, Amazon's probably the best one. You know, it trades yeah. at 184 times multiple, which is a crazy multiple to be paying. Mm. But the reason that investors are buying it is because it, tra- it deliberately trades at such a thin profit margin to destroy traditional retailers, which, which it's had a lot of success doing. But it wants to become the dominant e-commerce platform, not just in America, but across the world. And then, you know, if everyone is buying through Amazon and all re- you know, retailers are selling through Amazon, then Amazon becomes the only game in town. And then it will have a significant ability to, to change its prices. And, you know, if it, if it doubles its profit margins, all of a sudden, rather than paying 184 times earning, you're paying 92 times earning. And yeah. um, that, that's all happened because it, it's dominated the market and it has all the users. Mm. S- similar to Twitter, like the reason that investors were willing to give it so much cash was because it had 215 million monthly active users. And when you think about that many users, if you can monetize them, if you can, you know, get a dollar of advertising revenue out of each user each month, so that's 215 million monthly active users. If you can get a dollar out of them, that's $215 million in revenue a month. And all of a sudden, not being profitable is the least of your worries. Instead, you have to worry about how to spend all your money. 
Yeah. <laughs> the, big, the big question is if, just like with uh, Snapchat, you know, they've got these big users, but yeah, yeah how, exactly. how, to, how to monetize is Can the question. Can you monetize them? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, that's where the, the Facebook one comes in, I guess. So, you know, you talked about the WhatsApp acquisition. And mm. that, that's one that puzzles even us for the price. $19 billion is a lot to pay given that they, they only paid $1 billion for Instagram. Yeah. Um, the theory, and I guess I kind of subscribe to the theory, is that Facebook is ubiquitous across Western countries. So in America, in Western Europe, in Australia, everyone has Facebook. Everyone is a user of Facebook. And Facebook has, I think it's something like one7 uh, monthly active users sorry yeah. 1.7 billion monthly active users yeah. um, but it's it's having trouble building that in sort of uh, poorer countries in Latin America in Asia and India but in all those countries WhatsApp is a clear market leader it's done it's done really well to sort of dominate that messaging space and so the theory is that Facebook bought WhatsApp for so much because it covers up a real strong weakness for it um, and that is these non-Western countries where there's not a lot or not as many Facebook users. And I think between Instagram, Facebook and WhatsApp now, Facebook has something like 2 billion daily active users. So that's more than a quarter of the world's population. Yeah, it's huge <laughs> amount. Huge. Yeah, so I mean like their ability to advertise the data that they're getting, it's it's pretty phenomenal and mind-blowing when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, so tech companies are the same, but they're different, which can be a bit confusing, I guess. So in essence, investors are willing to accept bad financial figures if they can see a path to the market domination um, and to later monetizing that domination. So when trying to figure out if a tech company has the right or is on the right path, there are a few key metrics that uh, investors sort of look for, such as monthly daily active users, user growth, user retention, the cost of acquiring customers, um, network effect, and obviously how to monetize. So we'll briefly give you a, an idea of what all of those mean. Do you want to kick off, Ren? Yeah, sure. So uh, monthly or daily active users. Now, that's something you hear a lot. Yeah. And the best way to explain it, uh, have you ever downloaded an app or signed up to a website and then never visited again, never opened the app? Yep. Well, yeah, <laughs> everyone has and you're not alone. Tech investors can be fooled by total user figures. You know, everyone has downloaded the app. So what investors want to look at is the daily or monthly active users. That's the amount yeah. of people that use the app or the website every month or every day. They're, mm. they're the important users for these companies because they're the reoccurring people that are going to the website and that can be monetized. Uh, so user growth, and as the name suggests, that's what they look at. This is a better indication of a company's growth rate as opposed to something like revenue growth rate for traditional companies. So if a tech company is having a crazy user growth but no revenue growth, that is okay. As long as you can see and management have talked about and explained that there is a way to monetize these users in the future. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so similar to the two we've talked about before is user retention. And that is, in a nutshell what percentage of users are staying on the app because yeah. you know you could have a crazy marketing campaign or you know Whoopi Goldberg could be promoting your online currency um, <laughs> if if people are signing up going to the website once and then never again that's a really strong indication that 
uh, whilst you might be really good at getting users to the site, you're not good or your product isn't very good at keeping them there. So that's a, that's a big warning sign if there's a low user retention rate. Yeah, and, and off the back of that, if company, the, the next one obviously we said was the cost of acquiring customers. You don't want to have to be investing in, custo- in companies sorry, that are spending an absolute fortune just to get someone to sign up to their service. So the customer acquisition cost, some companies can fudge their user growth numbers for a while by investing huge amounts of money into acquiring new customers. So this metric shows how much companies are paying to acquire each new user and gives a good idea if user growth numbers are sustainable. I guess the end goal is that you want to be acquiring customers for the lowest cost possible um, without having to spend huge dollars advertising your product or getting them to sign up to your service because it's just a waste of, well, not a waste of money, but something you don't have to be spending money on. And and I mean, combined with uh, customer acquisition cost, you want to be looking at uh, the average revenue per user. So, you know, if your customer acquisition cost is $5 a user, but then you're only getting $4 a user, you know, either from sales or from advertising revenue from that user, then it's obviously unsustainable uh, long-term unless you can bring that either that revenue number up or the customer acquisition cost number down. Mm, so, yeah. Um, yeah, in essence, if you're paying to get a user more than that you're making from that user, big red flag. You're in a bad situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, network effect, Ren. Okay, so uh, network effect, by way of a definition, is where each additional user of a good or service adds value to all other users in the network. So the best example is social media, Facebook. If you were the only person on Facebook, it wouldn't be very valuable. (laughs) But because you're one of a few billion people on Facebook, there's a lot more value. And that's different to, you know, traditional, traditional retailer. Because if we take, you know, a Woolies example... If I can go to Woolies and buy a bag of carrots, those carrots are just as valuable if 100 people can also go and buy a bag of carrots. There's no mm. network effect in the product that Woolies is selling. No. But with a lot of online companies, especially social media, there's a really strong network effect. Mm. And so even if you have, you know, say Facebook had 100 daily active users, super loyal, you can advertise to them, you have to wonder if that's sustainable because you're not really going to get that network effect unless you're constantly adding new users. And yeah, look, that's part of the reason why Facebook wants to be the sort of go-to social media for everyone in the world because imagine the network effect if there was a social media where everyone in the world was on the same platform. Like that that value of being able to communicate to everyone, it just makes it exponentially more valuable as a platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... You know, network effect isn't something that's going to show up in a company report or financials, but it's an important no. concept to think about when you're thinking about technology companies. Definitely. And then I guess it all comes back to the last metric, which, well, it's not necessarily a metric, but the ways to monetize. So we've discussed a lot about users and user growth and retention and what that all means. And at the end of the day, if you have two 115 million users using your application, but there's no way that you can get a single dollar out of them, then investing in them. Is, uh, is not going to be entirely financially rewarding. Yeah, and I think that's probably the biggest lesson from the tech bubble of the late 90s. Investors didn't think enough about the ways that they, these users were going to be monetized. There was sort of an assumption, and I mean that assumption exists today, but it existed a lot more back then, that build it and they will come and then we'll figure out how to monetize. Mm. 
be be the first online bookseller, be the first map company online, you know, whatever. And then that everything will sort of take care of itself. Investors have learned a lot, but you know, there's there's definitely companies out there that get funding when there's not really a clear path to monetization. Hundred percent, yeah. Right. So what does all that mean and what does it mean for us and, and how have we utilized that to find a stock that we think is going to be an absolute doozy for stock of the week? Well, doozy in, in, our, sense <laughs> in our sense of the word. Yeah, we, good. We, yeah I, no, I reckon it's a, if, if you're looking for a set and forget investment, I reckon you'd be hard pressed to find a better one, to be honest. Yeah, this, this, is, a, this is great stock of the week. Um, if we so, say so ourselves. Yeah. This, so the Australian stock market itself doesn't have as many big players in tech like the US does. So yeah. most of the opportunities for public investment in tech stocks, as we have discussed more in line with this episode, you know, we haven't really delved into biotech or fintech or anything like that. Um, so to get investment in stocks that we've sort of discussed is, you know, your best opportunities are actually found overseas. Yeah. Notably in the uh, US where yeah. they all seem to be based. Yes, yes. And the US um, technology stocks tend to trade on what's known as the NASDAQ, which is the National Association of Securities Dealers Automated Quotations <laughs> Exchange. Just in case you needed to know that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first electronic exchange where investors can buy and sell stocks. So it's essentially the ASX. Uh, it's another form of exchange over, over yeah. in the States. Uh, it's traditionally known as the exchange where all of the tech stocks um, list themselves. They all like to hang out in the big group and la-di-da, we're the big tech stocks. We like to be separate. But yeah, this is um, when you hear someone talk about the NASDAQ, then yeah, they're referring to this exchange or, well, without getting too much into the weeds, they're referring to an index of the NASDAQ, which leads us to our stock of the week, which is REN. It is an exchange-traded fund with the uh, stock ticker NDQ. And what it is, is simply a basket of the top 100 non-financial companies traded on the NASDAQ. Awesome. So what, so what does that actually mean? Yeah, so it means that the company, uh, I think it's iShares that have put this exchange-traded fund together, have literally just bought 100 of the biggest companies on the NASDAQ and you can buy into that fund and follow the movement of the, of the index. So, so it's a fantastic way of yeah, getting access to all of the companies we previously talked about. Do we go yeah. one for one or do you want me to just rip through them? No, nah, just rip through all them. All right, all right. Uh, so Apple is the biggest company in the ETF. I think it's like 12% of the ETF. Alphabet, which is Google, second biggest company. Microsoft, Amazon, Intel, Cisco, uh, Comcast. That's the American cable company if uh, yeah. you haven't heard of them. Kraft Heinz, the biggest food producer in the world. Starbucks, the biggest producer of shitty coffee, um, <laughs> Netflix, Adobe, Tesla, Yahoo, eBay, the list goes on. But yeah, so look, essentially all the big tech companies bar LinkedIn, for some okay. reason they wanted to invest a list on the New York Stock Exchange and IBM. Um, IBM good. was sort of, you know, one of the very first internet companies. Um, it it listed maybe before the NASDAQ existed, but definitely before the NASDAQ was a sort of bastion of tech companies. So, nice. so you know, this is a good way of getting exposure to a broad range of 
uh, tech companies? It's a, a great way of, well, it's, it's good to have in your back pocket as well when this index starts to boom, um, yeah. you know, you can chuck some money in. This is one that we're going to be adding to our portfolio online to hopefully offset the losses that we're seeing coming <laughs> from Bear at the moment, which was a stock that we chose a couple of weeks ago for yeah. particular reasons as well. I'd probably have to say this for legal reasons. I actually am an NDQ owner. Um, nice. And yeah, look, it it's probably worth saying that a lot of people are talking about the NASDAQ being pretty fully valued at the moment, as yeah. in they expect to crash. I am a little bit more bullish than a lot of people. I think there may be a short-term correction, but I think some of the things we talked about today, especially, oh, is... I think especially the advertising story that we didn't spend as much time on, but I think the, the consolidation of this much advertising revenue is going to keep the NASDAQ churning along pretty nicely, let alone all of the new technologies that all these companies will develop. Yeah, no, I agree. I think this is a very long-term play. I think this stock could be worth a lot more uh, down the track. You know, you just look at these companies and the potentials that they have, and I, I can't see, yeah, as you said, short-term corrections, yes, long-term gains for sure. So that's it, NDQ. We'll throw it up. We'll uh, invest a thousand through IG. Yeah, um, still haven't dollars a trade. They still haven't reached out to us about that sponsorship, but you know, <laughs> still we'll, haven't reached we'll out. Put the offer out again. <laughs> but that's it, Ren. An- another great episode. Yeah, that was a tectacular. Tech- yeah. Maybe we'll have a tectacular 2.0 later down the track, or we'll do a tectacular and discuss some of the other things going on in the Mate, tech we world. Could've, we could have waffled on for a whole other episode here. I <laughs> <laughs> okay, we didn't. Need, yeah. Probably worth, probably worth saying if you want any other form of tech, or not tactacular, any other tacular, you know, if you want us to do a deep dive on something, um, give it, shoot us an email, shoot us a tweet, shoot us a Facebook message. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever. There's a hundred ways to contact us. Let us know. We'll be happy to do it. Yeah. So as always, thanks for listening, guys. And we will be back in a couple of weeks. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation.